Romans chapter 15, verses 23 through 33 is where we are this morning. Last week, we considered why Paul does what he does. Why is, what, why is he doing what he's doing? What is his motivation? He's desiring to fulfill his priestly duty to proclaim the gospel. He strives to help others worship God because that's what God has called him to. And since the Holy Spirit is at work in him, he can't help but manifest the power of the Spirit along with signs and wonders. Now, because we learned why Paul did what he did, we are also motivated to think similarly, to be motivated in a similar way, and to pay attention to what God is calling us to do as we minister to others or to serve others. So this last week we considered why is Paul doing these things. This week we want to look at what Paul does and what he encourages the believers in Rome to do so that we can learn from that and once again so that we can enable, be enabled, be equipped to be in effective ministry to others. How do we minister to others? That is our goal. You know, again, not a consumer mindset but one where we would say, not what I can get, but how do I serve others? And so the Bible equips us, it, 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 it informs us, it inspires us, it motivates us, and that's how Paul, when, in terms of what we're reading of what Paul does, that it can inspire us similarly. So let's read Romans chapter 15, verses 23 through 33. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions... And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. By the way, we don't have any reliable record of Paul having gone to Spain. He expresses a very strong desire here, and clearly that was something that was on his mind, but we don't have any record of him having actually gone to Spain itself. And so, you know, again, the point here is not that he writes this and says, you know, and somehow that was missed, but rather he's expressing the desire of his heart to be used of the Lord to go to a place that was not reached for the gospel at that point in time, right? So keep that in mind as we continue through this 
uh, through this passage and go through the points in this passage. Now you remember that in that earlier in Romans chapter 15, in verse 13 in particular, Paul Paul pointed to the God of hope, and he said, "This God of hope gives us hope to live out the gospel and to expectantly await His return, His coming." So Jesus who came ushers us in the kingdom of God and brings us into that kingdom and through that hope that he gives us we can await the coming of the Lord for his second return, for his second coming. Now here in verse 33 he points to the God of peace. The God of peace we know from Philippians 4 who guards our hearts and minds in peace so that we are not anxious, so that we are not fearful and so that we have the peace of God governing us as we do what we do. The peace of God as our umpire, as our means of saying, okay, I'm about to do this. Do I have the peace of God that guards me and that is uh, with me as I endeavor in this? If you're agitated, if you're anxious, if you're not at rest in terms of the action you're taking, you've got to ask the Lord, Lord, am I doing your will or am I going in my own flesh or am I running ahead of you? You know, like what is going on? Why do I not experience your peace in this? So the peace of God, and Paul is referring to that in this reference here, but he's also going to refer to that in the next chapter, and I'll say a little bit more about that when we get to that verse in chapter 16. In this passage, what does Paul do that can encourage us to do the same? Well, the first thing is, he takes the gospel to everyone, everywhere. And so, we are inspired to take the gospel everywhere to everyone. Paul says that since there is no more place for him to work in the regions that he had been to, he wants to go to new areas, including to Spain. What does he mean? That there is no more place for him to work. He certainly can't mean that he's been to every city, town, and village in the regions around the Mediterranean Sea. In the known world as such. He, he, he can't mean that. He certainly didn't go to every single place in that region. And those of you who have been on trips recently, you know there's a lot of land to cover, especially if it's on foot. So you can't, you, he couldn't possibly have gone all, all the ways there. But what he means is that he has intentionally and strategically gone to the major cities and centers. He has established local churches in those areas. He has raised up leaders to whom he entrusted the continuing discipleship of the people and the growth of those local churches and he has continued to equip and pray for the leaders and believers so that they will do what he did. You see, this is what he says, I am confident that I've done these things. I have fulfilled God's plan for me or God's call for me. I have gone to all the regions. He makes such a broad statement. But this is what he means. This is what he has done. You see, the advancement of the kingdom of God is intended, is purposed to be by multiplication, not by addition. If I'm working by myself, I can only add. I can add one person, then a second person, then a third person. 
But if I invest in the first person who will then go and do the same thing themselves and I invest in the second person who will go and do that, some, that same thing themselves and I invest in the third person who will do that same thing, I am now multiplying, not adding. And the kingdom of God, you will notice consistently, is about multiplication, not addition. And so we are not looking to simply add one person here and another person there and then say, oh, okay, look at our numbers, right? We are saying, how do we invest in people so that they can go and invest in others? How can we make disciples who will in turn make disciples? That's the principle of the kingdom of God. And so Paul says, I'm confident that I've done this. I've done this in all the regions, he has gone in and established something that can then multiply. Right? That's what he's talking about. And so that, when we talk about multiplication, when we invest in a few who disciple others with a multi-generational, long-term perspective, we have the present-day church. If Paul had not had that kind of a multi-generational, long-term perspective, we wouldn't be here. It would have ended with the first century. Right? But because we take this long-term perspective and we want to invest into the next generation who can invest into the next generation, and by the way, this happens primarily, and I would recommend and I would suggest almost entirely within the context of a local church, when it happens in that way, then we have the advancing of the kingdom of God, the building of the body of Christ. So Paul was faithful to God to plant the seed, nurture the growth, or reap the harvest. He didn't do all in every place. He, did, he may have done some, but he is faithful to do this without striving for his own personal recognition or reward. In fact, in most places, he's not rewarded. He is beaten up and left for dead. He is afflicted. He is persecuted. And he continues to go after these things because his desire is that the gospel would be proclaimed all over the world. And that means he was willing to go anywhere and meet with anyone and do anything that the Lord directed him to do. And it is this willingness and obedience to take the gospel everywhere, regardless of the opposition or the difficulties, and without any expectations for personal gain, this is what should encourage us to do the same. And how do we do this? How do we as a church today continue in this kind of legacy, in this kind of an example? Well, we do the difficult pioneering work. We have to see what is it that is, that is a challenge? What is it or where is it that we should go? What is it that we say, ah, I don't know if we can succeed in that? Well, let's pray because that may be exactly what the Lord wants us to do and to go into those places where no one else has made an effort. We don't take advantage of someone else's effort. We don't say, well, those people have done this, now we'll just go in and take that. No. We say, look, Lord, let me do what you want me to do. Let me go where people have not gone, and we're not trumpeting our accomplishments to attract people to ourselves. We humbly and quietly and peaceably go according to the Lord's direction to proclaim the gospel. We're not trying to, we're not, and when I say that we're not trying to attract people to ourselves, we're not trying to entice believers from another church. We're not saying, hey, come to our church. You know, our church is better. No, 
We want to say, look, this, we want to reach out to people who are, we're not competing with these other churches. We want to reach out to people who are unchurched, who are unreached. And maybe they know something about God, but they're not in fellowship with God or with the believers. They're not in a constant communion with those that are of like precious faith. And so we want to reach out to those folks. We want to say to them, hey, here's an opportunity for us to come together as one body so that we may build one another up. This is what Paul has in mind in the verse we read last week, Romans chapter 15, verse 20, where he says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Again, I'm not at all saying that there won't be situations where somebody leaves a church and comes to another church. That can happen. But my point is that we would be looking to go where the Lord leads us to, even if it is difficult circumstances, so that the unreached are reached and the unchurched are churched. That's our goal, right? So that's what Paul does. That's what he's expressing here very clearly. Next, Paul gives generously. It's very clear that he himself gives generously and he's encouraging others to give generously. And so we give generously and help those in need. Now Paul is not only organizing a fund drive, you know, a collection. He's not only organizing that amongst the churches outside Jerusalem to assist the church in Jerusalem. He is setting the expectation that the believers in Rome will assist him in his missionary endeavors, particularly to Spain. He's not trying to obligate them or shame them or you know, force them or do anything. He simply states the need and the expectation. He says, this is what needs to be done, and I'm expecting that you'll give. Now, how did they respond? We don't know exactly how that happened, and like I said, we don't have record of him going on to Spain in that way, but the principle that he's expressing here is one that we also pay attention to, that we would state the need and expect the giving, that we simply make that statement. And so here, uh, Paul also makes this statement in verse 27. He says, they, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, were pleased to do it. Do what? They were pleased to give to the poor amongst the Lord's people in Jerusalem, and indeed, they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. It's not a statement about racial discrimination or racial differentiation. He is making this point that those who gave did it willfully and cheerfully. They were pleased to give. And he's also making a point that they, they were also giving materially to those from whom they had received spiritually. This is a principle that we'll explore more fully in the next sermon series. But I want to highlight that it is appropriate for us to first give generously to our local church where we receive spiritual blessings. And to that local church, we bring in the tithes, the first fruits, other offerings. And then, having given to the local church, we may also additionally support other churches, missionaries, and anyone else who provides spiritual blessings, even as we support and give to those in need. 
So all of that comes into play when we talk about giving. It's not just I give only to the poverty you know, or the impoverished, to the poverty stricken. Right? I give also in terms of where I'm receiving spiritual blessing. We bring the tithe into the storehouse from which we receive that spiritual manna, that spiritual food. And so we contribute to the well-being and the flourishing of that local church. So in all these ways, Paul is speaking about this and he's talking about giving in all these ways and it is certainly not with a consumer mindset. We've referred to this in the past, but again, let me repeat this. He's not saying you're paying for what you consume. Go to the local church, you've got two messages, three prayers, and four songs, give $200. No, he's not, this is not a consumer mindset. This is not, you know, I got, uh, well, I got the value for what I put in the offering today. That's not the attitude, right? It's rather where we are stewards of the Lord to direct his resources wherever he sees fit for them to be utilized. By the way, the two messages is the call to worship and the message. You know? So it, just in case you were wondering. You know? and, and, you know, you, you, it, it's not counting what you get so that you can then give. Or I gave and then I didn't get. That's not the mindset. But rather to say, Lord, I'm your steward and I will direct wherever you want me to give however you want me to give, and we are utilized, or we are utilizing these resources that we, doesn't belong to us, it belongs to the Lord, and we say, Lord God, let these be used for you. So we give as unto the Lord, as the Lord leads, so that the whole body of Christ is built up and strengthened. Sometimes you look at a church and you say, well, they have all the resources. They don't need my money. Well, they may be very faithful and diligent and obedient to use those resources for the advancement of the kingdom of God, and that may be exactly where God wants you to give, so that that can continue to be done that way. Right? Again, we'll get into other things about, you know, the, the about some of the parameters around this when we get into First Corinthians. I'll talk some more about how to give in these ways and what some of these uh, considerations should be as we give. But for now. The point that I want to make is this, that we give generously and help those in need, including those within the body of Christ or those from whom we receive spiritual blessings. And then, finally and most importantly, in terms of what Paul expresses as his, what he does and what he's asking others to do, he prays for the believers and he asks them to pray for him. Right? He prays, he you know, multiple verses throughout the Bible, throughout these epistles, where he says, I am praying for you. I am praying for you. I am praying for you. And then multiple verses where he says, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Why? This praying for each other is such an important thing in the Bible. This is such an important uh, challenge, directive, way in which we need to come together in the Lord. And Paul urges his brothers and sisters to pray for him. He says that when they pray for him, they join him in his struggle, in his mission to make the gospel known. I mean, think about that. When you pray for somebody that is going through a difficult circumstance, for whatever, the, for whatever reason, you are joining in with them. 
You are joining. He says, you are joining in with my struggle. What kind of struggle? Well, there's physical struggle, the hardships, all the things that he's going through. There's spiritual hardships and difficulties. You know, it, Paul says very clearly, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual forces of darkness. So he says, when I'm struggling in those ways, and you pray, and you pray for me, I'm helped in that, and you're joining in that, and you're you know, coming alongside and giving me strength. And when he talks about not that we would not be aware, that we would not be ignorant, rather, that we would be aware of the devil's schemes, he's saying, I want you to pray for me that I will discern what the devil is trying to do to stop me and the struggle that I'm experiencing and that I can break through those things. I can go forward. I can preach and proclaim the word of God, the gospel. And so he's encouraging his brothers and sisters to pray for him. When we pray for those we give to, especially for the church and the missionaries we support, we are joining with our brothers and sisters in what the Lord has called us to do. And Paul has three specific requests. He says, pray for me, and then he lists at least three things here. He says, pray for my physical safety. Right? He says, pray for favor and grace for the successful completion of my current activity. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm just about to go to Jerusalem. I'm taking up this collection. I'm just about to go to Jerusalem and to help the poor. Now, this was not electronic transfer of funds. He's collecting monies and he's got it with him. He could have been robbed. He could have been, you know, those things could have been lost. The, the funds that he's, you know, going to all these churches with, with could have been misused in some way. I mean, Anything can happen. So he says, pray for my physical safety, but pray for grace and favor that this social ministry, this need, that this helping of the poor that we're trying to take care of, help, let, pray that that will be completed successfully. And then he says, pray for doors to be opened so that I will be able to complete future or planned activities and missions. No matter where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do that I don't know yet and I don't have the details for and I don't even know whether that will happen exactly that way, pray for the future activities. Pray for my safety, pray for this current activity, pray for the grace and favor, but pray also for wisdom, discernment, power, everything else for all these things that are being planned for the future. So these are at least three different ways in which we can also do the same. We can be praying for each other, and we can be praying especially for missionaries and others that we support. We can be praying that there will be this kind of help given for them. Right? Yesterday, uh, I was reading a report from some missionaries who work in the Middle East, and they work amongst the Iraqi Kurds, you know, the, uh, after the whole you know, Gulf War and everything else, Kurds had established their own region, independent sort of region and so on. And these folks, they work amongst these Iraqi Kurds, they work amongst the Syrian refugees, and they work amongst other Arab Muslims throughout that region. And they're going and they're doing stuff, and they've been doing this now for about nine years, and it's just, you know, great fruit, great things that God is doing and bringing people to him, but very difficult. Right? Very difficult circumstances. And you know what their prayer requests were? They had this whole 
update, you know, update on the ministry, we're doing this, we're doing this. And then right at the end, there's prayer requests. You know what the prayer requests were? Physical safety, favor with the government of Iraq, and discipleship of the new believers who came to the Lord just last month. Future growth, future development, all these things that they're investing in them. Same things that Paul is asking for. Pray for our safety, pray for favor in the, with the government and the other kinds of things that are going on right now, and pray for the future. Pray for the discipleship to continue in these ways. Same kind of thing that we can do. Which brings us to this point that we need to respond and apply the word of God that we're hearing by praying and acting. And again, we need to do that individually and collectively. Right? Now, we... Uh, and I've mentioned this, I've reminded us you know, in different ways, but I know even today I'm talking about the fact that we give and giving enables us to cover expenses, it enables us to invest in new resources and capabilities, it helps us to train and equip those in the church, and it helps to serve and assist those outside the church. We reach out or we'll go to some you know, place and minister or we may help somebody out or do something else. And those are all ways in which we would be using these resources that we are bringing together collectively for the purpose of God, for the fulfillment of his will and for the advancement of this kingdom of God. So I want to encourage you to keep doing that, to keep praying about that, to say, Lord, how should I give and you know, what should I give, how much and everything else, and keep doing that. You know, I thank you for being faithful in that. I encourage you to keep doing that and to keep increasing in that. But the other things that we talked about here in this passage and what I really want to challenge, for, challenge our church to really be paying attention to is that we would, in these coming months, identify specific outreach, evangelism, and service opportunities. That we would say, Lord, how should I, how should I individually and how should we collectively do something that reaches out to people, that ministers to others, that serves others? And again, I'm not prescribing a specific method or a specific activity this morning you know, in this service. But I am issuing that challenge to say, let's start to pray for that. Let's start to ask the Lord for that. And what ideas you have and the things that would, the Holy Spirit will prompt you, let's bring them up. Let's put them together. Let's see what is possible. right? It, with what we have, with what the Lord has given us in our hand, how can we use that to reach out? to do something effective, to be uh, you know, serving people. And so this requires both individual and collective prayer. So when I say let's pray and act, I mean it in that order, even though I'm referring to the fact that there's action to be taken, it has to be preceded by prayer. If we're not praying, if we're not seeking the Lord, if we're not asking him what is the direction I should go in, we will, as I mentioned earlier, try something in our own strength. We will attempt something that seems good. We will run ahead of where the Lord is leading us. There has to be strength. There has to be the resources. There has to be the commitment. All of that. So we're not trying to push us to do something we're not ready to do. I'm saying, let's start to pray and to wait on the Lord for that. But let us pray. So, in this matter of prayer, we have multiple prayer opportunities. You know, whether it's the ladies getting together on Monday evening or we're 
getting together for a prayer meeting on Wednesday evening or we have fasting and prayer typically just once a month on the first Saturday of the month coming up this Saturday where, and whether we have other opportunities to pray together corporately or whether you're praying individually or whether you're praying as a family or whether you're getting together with some friends or you're getting together with somebody in the church. Whatever the means, let's persevere in prayer. Let's go to the Lord diligently, fervently, and frequently to say, Lord God, what should we do? How do we move forward? What is it that you are purposing for us? We need volunteers for the Sunday school. Lord, bring the people. Lord, help us to use what we have in the best way possible without overextending, without burning out, without doing all of that. How do we do that? So we want to pray with fervency now. We've gone through almost four months. Pardon me. We've, gone, we've completed four months of the year. We're in our fifth month. It has gone by fairly quickly. A third of the year is already done. What is it that the Lord wants us to do for the remaining part of this year? How should we think about this? How should we proceed? What should we do that will allow us to love God, love others, and make disciples? What should we be praying for? How should we pray in that way, effectively? That's the challenge that I'm laying before us. Now, as you start to respond to that, as you start to engage in these individual and corporate activities, right? and you get involved in these prayer meetings and other things, you get involved in these you know, planning, whatever it may be, you get involved in actually being part of that activity, whether it's going with a group you know, to serve or to minister or to share or to sing or whatever it may be. As we do this, as we go after this, as we are paying attention to how the Holy Spirit would lead and guide and direct us, keep in mind all those things that we've talked about in the past months, years. Right? Get equipped. Grow in the discipleship maturities. Be prepared. Ask the Holy Spirit and say, which area do I need to pay attention to? Where am I lacking and how can I get that? And who can I go to? Maybe there's somebody in the church that you say, you know, this is a person that I would love to talk to about this area. Do that. Go find somebody. Don't isolate yourself and don't take on something by yourself. That's the whole purpose of the local church, that we would come together in that way to encourage one another, to build one another, and to say, oh, you know, I see this in you. Tell me what you do about this. I see how you're a person of prayer. What, what, how does this work? What, what motivates you? I see that you're a person of action. You, you take these particular steps. You go out, you evangelize, or whatever it may be. How do you do that? And we talk to each other. We, we help each other. We depend on one another. And we say, let us collectively then build this church. Build in the kingdom of God. Advance the kingdom. Right? That's the challenge and that's the call to us. So throughout this message, I trust that you're hearing that I'm, I'm a big proponent and you know every Sunday we have this phrase that says we respond and apply or we apply the word of God that we're hearing. And the whole point of that, of that is that we would not be, be merely hearers of the word but that we would be doers of the word. And so we have to ask the question, Lord, what should I do? How do I respond? Where should I apply? Again, like I said 
and I have said multiple times, it is not, this is not to put pressure on you. This is to encourage you, to challenge you, and to convict, and to say, hey, what can I do? Where can I give? What can I do to respond in these ways? How can I go to places and people who I, I, you know, are very difficult? I know, I know it's going to be difficult. But how can I do that effectively? And what should I do collectively to honor the Lord and to help build this church? Heavenly Father, I thank you that Paul gives us such great examples and instruction and directives and all of that. But most importantly, I thank you, Lord, that you, Lord Jesus, are the one that builds the church. You said, this is my church. And Father, so we don't talk about these things and try to do something ourselves. We talk about these things and say, Lord God, you build your church and you show us what you want to do. And even as we sang at the beginning of this service, Lord, you do whatever you want us to do. You work in us so that what, in whatever ways we need to respond, we will do that. Father, we look to you. We have to have you as our source. Lord, we need you as our constant guide and director of every action and thought. And we are doing all of this ultimately for your glory, for your worship, for your, Lord, for the salvation that you bring. So it's not for us ourselves, Lord. Help us, therefore, to pay attention to that focus and call of God. Father, in everything that we do, help us, Lord, to build the church, the body of Christ, so that, Father, this body, this bride of Christ would be ready for when you return. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.